I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. And tonight, we're going to talk about sacred relics and try to better understand how true devotion to the saints and proper veneration of their sacred remains can unite us with the communion of saints in heaven and enrich our spiritual lives here on earth. Before we get into that, we want to talk briefly with EWTM's Jim Pinto about EWTN's media missionaries. Jim, what are the missionaries up to now? Sharing the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our parishes, in our families, in our communities with EWTN. Great. We need many more. I invite you, before I forget, in these few minutes, join us. Just go to our website, give us a phone call, we'll sign you up today. Okay. One of the things I wanted to focus on, Father, in nurturing our missionaries is what we call EWTN, Media Missionaries Gatherings. So bringing our missionaries together, whether electronically or through the internet-based gatherings together, or physically coming together. Some other people may be Skyping in. But the point here is to pray, to pray for EWTN, to pray for the mission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the hearts of our parishes and, and, and our families, to speak about best practices, about how to share EWTN with others and the gospel. And so we're hoping to get more people to do this. So if there are media missionaries out there, we're gonna have a special webinar. It's gonna be June 9th, 9th, 8 p.m. on gatherings. What are they? How do they work? How do I hear about them? How can I get involved to gather together with other people that are on fire for Jesus Christ and for EWTN? And so if you're not a media missionary, sign up, go to the website, call us, register, become a media missionary, share the gospel with EWTN and with these missionaries and learn how you might host uh, a gathering, maybe just two or three people that love EWTN. Or maybe you'd have a meeting with people who are missionaries and invite other people in. Most of these take place in church facilities, but they can take place anywhere. The word of the Lord says, where two or three gather together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. Yep. And so you can't help but be blessed and if we're going to do this work of evangelization, you know, at a hostile time in the world, we need to be on fire. And one of the ways to be on fire is to be in community with other believers like this. Yep. I uh, would urge you to do that. Again, you can call 205-795-5771 to get in contact with the EWTN missionaries or go to EWTNmissionaries.com or you can email them at EWTN missionaries at EWTN.com and get in contact. It really does make a big difference. I still come across people. I was just in Texas uh, preaching a mission. A lot of people didn't know what EWTN That's was. Right. Right. And uh, so you are a big part of helping to do that. Call us now. We're waiting to hear from you. All right. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple of minutes with tonight's guest. So please stay with us. Welcome back. You know how in the creed that we proclaim at Mass on Sundays, we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And that communion of saints is one of the great treasures that the Lord has given to the church. Our guest tonight brings an amazing opportunity to thousands of people across the country every year to be able to hold in their hands the sacred remains of numerous saints and martyrs, as well as some of their own possessions. And by doing so, they get a better appreciation for the proper veneration, as well as the healing and transformative power of the relics. Here to bring us a real life connection with the communion of saints, 
we ask you to please welcome Father Carlos Martins. Father, welcome to EWTN. It's good to have you here. You are originally from? I was born in Kitchener, Ontario. Kitchener is a city just south of Toronto in yeah, Canada. Yeah, just up there in Canada, so it's great to have you. It's always you. nice to let our many ca Canadian viewers you know, know we're delighted to have them. Uh, and you know their fellow countrymen here on our show, and as well as invite them to join us. And you have this mission uh, to uh, let people know relics, but it, in some ways, it comes from your own spiritual transformation and conversion. Tell us a little bit about where you started out spiritually. Sure. sure. Uh, so I, I am a convert from atheism. I converted in 1996 at the end of my second year of undergraduate studies. And one year after that, I went to Rome just on a pilgrimage of Thanksgiving. And, and can I, before we get to, because that's, that's a good story, but why did you convert? I mean, weren't you happy as an atheist? No, I wasn't. That was oh. the point. Oh. <laughs> No, I thought they were so happy being with us. No guy. atheist is happy. I yeah. mean, we're we're wired to to want to desire communion with God and to be un, unsatisfied, unhappy, until we have that communion. Uh, so the Lord had His way with me, and and the Nazarene conquered once again. Yeah. And so I I went to Rome on this pilgrimage of Thanksgiving one year after that conversion, and I just on that trip was uh, a defining. Uh, moment in my life and, and a, a real turning point which would set me on a, on a very much on a vocational tract in the sense that I met people in the Vatican with access to relics and mm -hmm. it was just by happenstance we were at a coffee shop together one weekday morning and we started a conversation and we just kind of hit it off and they uh, they asked me what my plan was to do that day and they uh, I mentioned that I was going to make pilgrimages to different shrines that had relics in the in, in Rome, in the Holy mm -hmm. City. Mm -hmm. And so they reached in their pockets and they pulled out various reliquaries. And so they had the responsibility of distribution uh, for the Holy See. And so what happened was uh, they gave me uh, some relics and that began this ministry. And what what I did at the time was I made a criticism of how relics are handled by the church in Rome, if you will. When you go to Rome, there are amazing relics in amazing churches, mm -hmm. but you can't get up close to any of them. And so what I said was, whenever, scripture, when, whenever relics are mentioned in the Bible, in scripture, two things always happen. One, there is always a healing. There's never not a healing. Secondly, touch is the way by which that healing comes about. Well, you can't touch any relics in Rome. And so even in, in St. Augustine, the church father, when uh, he finishes his great work, The City of God, he concludes that work, which is where he's at his theological high point, with stories of healings with relics. And one happened in his cathedral, a woman who had been hemorrhaging for years, touched the bars in between herself and the relics, but was able to touch the, the alcove where the relics are and, and her healing stopped, or her hemorrhaging stopped. She received a healing. She ran home to tell her sister who had the same problem. Someone ran into the church rectory to get Augustine. Both the sister and Augustine arrived in his cathedral at the same time and he was there to witness her sister receive the same healing. Mm -hmm. So that aspect is, was, has in, in some sense become lost. And so what I wanted to do was, was restore that. So they gave me relics and I put them into reliquaries and I allow people to touch each and every one, uh, people that come to the expositions. Mm. See, and yet, now here, here's a problem. You know, a lot of people tell us that uh, Honoring relics is some medieval thing that came about as an abuse in the church and shouldn't happen. What do you say to that? Sure. 
Uh, well, uh, it's it's not true. Uh, oh, relics good. are <laughs> <laughs> relics are mentioned in Scripture. Uh, for example, in in Matthew chapter nine, uh, we have the hemorrhaging woman who touched the hem of Christ's garment, and in a moment of light, she received the message: "If all I do is touch the hem of his cloak, I will be healed." And that's exactly what happened. When Mark gives that account, and, and it's interesting that she has that act of faith about touching the tassel because, you know, on, on a The Jewish Holy Spirit was already working within her. Exactly. But our Lord felt power go out from Him. It's not the, uh, in some ways, the, the, the object is this means, but the power originates in God Himself. Right. Right. And he felt that power and he wanted to get to the person exactly. to whom it went. He wanted a relationship with that person as well. Exactly. And what's significant, she didn't touch Jesus, but his clothing. Right. And that was enough for the healing. Mark goes further in his account at when, and he adds, and however many people touched his cloak, they were healed. Yes. When we move on to, to Acts chapter 19, for example, we have St. Paul the Apostle being so holy, when he walked down the street, people would touch him with cloths and then lay those cloths on the sick and it says two things would happen. Their, their diseases would leave them and if they had any evil spirits, they would depart from them. Uh, in the second book of Kings in the Old Testament, we hear about a man had died and was being buried he was being buried in the same grave as the prophet Elisha, one of the holiest saints in the Old Testament. Inadvertently, as his body was being lowered, it came into contact with the bones of Elisha, and it says he sprang to his feet and, and came back to life. Well, in fact, it wasn't an, even an act of faith on the part of the people with that man's body but it was because some Midianites were making a raid and they just tossed the body into Elisha's grave to get out of there exactly. before the raiders came. Exactly. And it wasn't some specific, but the, uh, the, there's a little technicality here. Elisha, like Elijah and Moses and one other man, are called men of God. Have you ever noticed that? Mm -hmm. And in the Old Testament, Nebi is the word for a prophet up in the north of the country. And in the south, they use the word Jose, a seer. But then there's another category, the man of God, who's a prophet through whom miracles happen. And so it's not just like we mean, he's a man of God, well, that's, he's holy or special. No, it, it's a prophet who does miracles. And Moses, Elijah, and Elisha were especially set apart by their miracles. Mm. And one unnamed man of God simply stretches his hand to a pagan altar and it cracks in half and gets polluted. So. It's, he was just known for the miraculous mm. and touching him was uh, uh, just this power that went from his dead body. Right, which he performs even after he's dead. Yep. Right? And so what we have here in those three scriptures is you have all three classes of relics described, right? We, yes. we call traditionally in the church a first class relic the body or any part of the body of a saint. A second class relic would be any, anything a saint personally owned or, or habitually used, clothing, perhaps a book. Third class relics are any touched relics, any, any object touched to a first, second, or another third class relic of a saint. And all three of those are described in those scriptures. Mm -hmm. All exactly. three of them effect healing. And in fact, in my experience with relics, there is no difference in the, the efficaciousness of a relic uh, in terms of its class. Mm -hmm. Third class relics heal just as much, just as well mm -hmm. as first class relics. Mm -hmm. And these uh, relics, um, especially third class relics where 
a cloth or something has touched the saint. Right. Uh, those are more commonly available to the, the public. They are, and they can make their own. At, right. at my expositions, I, I encourage people to bring their objects of devotion, rosaries, holy cards, medals, even their wedding bands. Mm -hmm. And they are welcome to touch them to the reliquaries, and they produce their own third-class relics, just like those, those women did with the Apostle Paul in Acts 19, where mm -hmm. they, they touched him, and then they went to work with those relics. And right. the work was accomplished. Uh, right. Evil spirits left the individuals. Their diseases also left. Whereas with especially first and second class relics, the, the first class bones and other body parts of the saints, because there are a number of saints who still have not decayed. Right. That's, that's one thing that we, that's in the church. And then second class relics. In general, the church tends to be more of a custodian of those first and second class. Not absolutely necessary but it tends to be the case the church is custodian, correct? It is. Uh, the, the church, the Vatican, used to assign relics to individuals. Uh, it no longer does that because of the, the large number of abuses that occurred. And, and, and in fact, we, we see that uh, all the time. Uh, different auction houses and online, um, online auction houses, eBay, etc., uh, they have a, their, their their sacred relics section is is enormous. The the problem is, the vast majority. And one time I went through all of their listings. Ninety two percent of what I saw were fake. Ninety two percent of of what are are being sold as relics mm. are bogus. They're inauthentic relics. Mm -hmm. So you have people of faith thinking they're doing a good thing in rescuing these relics. Right. And, and really what they're doing is, is, is buying a piece of chicken bone or, or, or something that is, that is absolutely not sacred. Yeah. The fakers have become very good at faking what looks to be like a real relic. Mm -hmm. And this, this is a problem, but one of the uh, titles you have, and that's why I brought this up, you are a custos reliquiarum, a, a custodian of relics, correct? Yes. Yes, so uh, it simply it means, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a curate or a custodian of relics. Uh, I have the authority, have the delegation by the church to issue relics for public veneration, to make repairs to reliquaries. Um, everything physical after a while needs some maintenance, and yeah, yeah. relics are no exception. That's right. Uh, they can become damaged, they can, they can uh, the relic inside may become unglued. Uh, so I, I spend, when I'm back at my office, I spend a great amount of my time making those repairs. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So this is uh, something important. And I, I think one of the problems that occurred with that relic market that developed online and at antique stores mm -hmm. was that there were parish churches in the... 70s, 80s, and 90s that were just, you know, it was part of an iconoclasm, a removal of sacred images that was part of the things that happened in those days. And they were just giving away or selling them or giving them to these places, and people were selling them. And then the imitations, I think, came. Right. But I, I knew pastors. Um, you know, uh, one of them said to me once, look, I got all these relics, so I'm just going to get rid of them. Any of you guys want them? As I say, to a meeting of, of priests, and I was the only one who said, I'll take them. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so I did and rescued them all. Yeah. yeah. And that was right from a parish vault. Right, yeah. So the church used to assign relics even to individuals, lay, lay persons even. Sure. It no longer does that. Not, yeah. not even not even to priests or bishops. It will assign relics to a parish church mm -hmm. or a diocesan chapel. And when the church issues the authenticating document now, it lists the name of that church or chapel where the relic will be exposed mm -hmm. for public veneration mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try to close off that leakage, if you will, of, yes. of relics into, into the market. It, the church wants to keep a custody Right. public custody of, of its relics. Well, 
that speaks to some of the preciousness of the relics. And you already mentioned in these cases uh, with Elisha, uh, our Lord Jesus, St. Paul, with first, second, and third class relics. These were associated with healing. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, <coughs> excuse me, they, those are one of the issues involved in honoring the relics is this healing and conversion, correct? Absolutely. So, so again, every time relics are mentioned in sacred scripture, two things always come about. There is always a healing. There is never not a healing. Mm -hmm. Touch is the way by which that healing comes about. And when I say touch, I, I want to be absolutely clear and qualify that it is not because relics are magic. They do not have a power yes. of their own. Um, any, any, any working of a miracle or healing in the presence of the relics comes from God. But God, because he is a proud parent, wants to bring attention to his saints. His saints are his prized creation. Right. God is very proud of them. He's a proud parent. And so true and proper devotion to the saints takes nothing away from the veneration, from the, from the worship of God, because the saints are incarnate within Christ. And Paul uses the image of the body over and over in his epistles. Right. We are members of the body of Christ. We are, we are body parts of Christ's body. And the human is a composite of body and soul. We, of course, we experience death now after the fall, but that was never God's original plan. Yeah. Right. We we were to to remain an integral whole, even though we 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 are composite. We always were. The the body of a saint after his death is no less part of the saint than his spirit is. Yes. And the saint's spirit, which is in heaven now in front of the face of God, is no less present in his sacred remains. Right. And so he responds, she responds, the saints respond to that true and pro proper devotion given to them, and God backs it up with mm -hmm. his ratifying of the miraculous. In the church fathers uh, were, are, are replete with stories of miraculous healings, but also the, the pain the demons feel when relics are brought into their presence. It is horrifically painful for a demon to be in the presence of a relic. And that is just a testimony of the presence of the Holy Spirit within the relic and, and, and how they form part of God's plan. Relics are the touchstone of God's kingdom. They, they evangelize without even speaking. They perform the works of the kingdom. Yes, yes. And that's itself um, a very important thing. And um, so again, so folks understand, well, why? Why would I go to the saints? You know, couldn't I just go to God directly? You know, and I, I like to remind them of two passages in the book of Revelation. In chapter 5, verse 8, when the elders, the 24 elders are around the throne of God, they have golden bowls, bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then in Revelation 8, verse 3, the angel has a bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I like to use that as a great a biblical image, that our prayers are like nuggets of incense. It smells quite nice, but the power of the incense is released when you set it on fire, you place it on a coal. And that's what the angels and saints do. They take our prayers like nuggets of incense, set them on fire before mm. the throne of God and release the sweet aroma before God. This is, this is the biblical image for the role of the intercession of the saints. Relic, the relics are part of the way the Lord lets us do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and that... That is something I see daily 
in the exposition ministry that I run, which is a Vatican-sponsored ministry. It's called Treasures of the Church. There are healings at every exposition. So I travel the world and hold expositions within churches, schools, and prisons, mm -hmm. whereby I bring an exhibit that numbers over 100 relics of the saints consistently. People are given a teaching where the theology, the church's theology of relics is presented to them. In other words, they're prepared for that encounter with the saints, with their relics. And I guarantee people in that presentation, there's going to be at least one saint that is going to reach out and communicate with you in a personal way. Mm -hmm. There's going to be at least one saint that is going to say to you, I want to be your friend. And so in that time of what, what I call the walk with the saints, as, as people are, are able to go and encounter the relics, read about them, touch them, they look for that sign mm -hmm. and then beautiful things happen. There are healings, there are miraculous healings at every exposition. Mm -hmm. Some of them are very dramatic. Uh, I remember there was a gentleman that came, he had been born paralyzed, born without the use of his legs and he placed his hand on top of one of the reliquaries. In fact, it was the relic of the, our Lord's true cross, which I have here in front of me. He got up out of his wheelchair and, and he walked home that day. Uh, that wheelchair is my understanding is still on display in that church. It's been over 10 years now since that event happened. Uh, three days ago, I was at a church in Nashville and a, a woman came in with, a severe, with severe back issues that made it very difficult for her to walk. So she, walk, she walked with great difficulty and with a cane and at the end of that exposition, she threw the cane down and walked out and there was not a sign that there was anything wrong with her. She walked with the with all the grace that anybody has ever walked. <laughs> and so this is the, the, these are the signs that are performed at these expositions via these, these saints who continue to perform that ministry of healing that, that our Lord inaugurated. And, and in fact, it should be no surprise that they do because our Lord said, greater works than what I do, you will do. And either, either our Lord was telling the truth when he said that, or he was lying. And of course, our, our God is no liar. Yeah. And so we shouldn't be surprised when his saints and, and even just their mere remains are able to perform these miraculous signs. We need to take a little break. Um, first, I want to let you know you can learn a lot more about the saints if you go to EWTM.com slash Catholicism slash saints. EWTN.com slash Catholicism slash saints. And you'll find out a lot more about the saints there as well. We have lots of material in our library written by and about the saints. And we're going to come back with Father Carlos in just a couple of minutes and talk about the relics that he has brought here with us. So please stay with us. Right. Welcome back. We are speaking to Father Carlos Martins, uh, and he is the head of an apostolate known as treasuresofthechurch.com. Treasuresofthechurch.com. And by treasures, he's not so much talking about uh, the kind of jewels and pearls somebody might have, but the jewels and the crowns of the saints and the, the various saints. There. So he brings these relics that he has with him in his exhibit. And you're going to be uh, exhibiting these. You already have at the cathedral and you'll do so at another church here in town, St. Teresa's. But 
while you're here with us, I'd like you to talk about the relics you have. Let's start off with the newest blessed sure, that we yeah. have. So I have here a relic of Blessed Carlo Acutis, who is um, who has been just recently beatified. Um, he died at the age of 16, is the patron saint of computer programmers and, and, and of the internet, uh, who also composed a, a very famous, very renowned exhibit on Eucharistic miracles. So he spent a great part of his childhood, of his, of his youth, of perform, or researching and, and making available for exhibition stories of um, the miraculous that, that our Lord has performed vis-a-vis -vis the Eucharist, mm -hmm. bleeding hosts and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, so Carlo Acutis has, in a sense, taken the world by storm. He has become immensely popular, uh, especially uh, among the youth who, when they see him, they see a young man, uh, somebody who they can relate to, you know, he having died quite recently uh, and his and having been a recent uh, beatification mm -hmm. uh, really speaks to the church. So mm -hmm. this is the newest of the church's blessings. And, you know, I think uh, th there's a double side of his beatification and his patronage uh, because he's considered patron of the uh, Internet. And this is a patronage, I think, that it should be promoted to protect against a lot of the evils on the Internet. Internet is a source of a lot of pornography. It is also a source of a lot of insults, bad language directed at other people, calling horrible names and expressing anger, and a lot of deception. None of those things are godly. Right. None of those things. Lying about things on the Internet to promote political agendas, uh, business agendas, or personal agendas, that's, that's just contrary to God who is truth. Absolutely. To have him as a patron is really quite wonderful. It is, yeah. And as well as to avoid... The, these bad things. He also has the positive side, which is to use the internet to say what's true and good and beautiful. You know, using it to evangelize. That's the positive side of his exactly. patronage. Exactly. And he was absolutely zealous about doing that. He saw yeah. the internet for what it was, a tremendous tool for positive communication, for godly communication. Right. And he worked tirelessly to bring that about. So yeah. an absolutely great patron. Who else do you, do you have there? I have here a bone fragment of St. Mary Magdalene, uh, the apostle to the apostles, the, the first witness of our Lord's resurrection. Uh, Mary Magdalene, by tradition, settled in uh, during the, the diaspora of the Jews, of, of the Christian Jews from from Jerusalem settled in France. Mm -hmm. And so right. her body has been recovered from there, was recovered uh, ages ago. And, and uh, this was a relic issued by, by the Vicariate of Rome, by the, by the Chancery of Rome, if you will, one of the easily, one of the most popular saints in the church. Yes. People can really identify with yes. Mary Magdalene. And there's, a, there's a, a sweetness that emanates from her that is very attractive uh, yes. to people. Uh, I have here St. Augustine, who is the perhaps the most renowned doctor of the church, doctor yes. of course meaning teacher in the mm -hmm. church's sense, uh, or at least is a contender with St. Thomas Aquinas for being the most uh, the most renowned of the doctors. Uh, I, you know, St. Augustine had a very colorful past. Uh, in terms of sin, uh, prior to his conversion, and the witness of of his of, of Augustine is such that I mean, it, it kind of contains everything. Uh, there's there's great evil. After his conversion, there's great good. 
his conversion could not have come about without the prayers of his mother. And, you know, there are many mothers and fathers, many family members who lament the loss of faith or, or the erring ways of members of their family, in particular children. Uh, Monica, his mother, did such an incredible service to him and, and indeed to the whole church throughout time in bringing about her son's conversion through her prayers. And Monica herself was a person who struggled with sin. She, she was an addict. Augustine informs us in his confessions. She drank too much. She liked wine too much. Yes. And so it was a struggle for her, a, a, a habit that she eventually was able to put away. And so here you have these two individuals who are very human. And they went on, and now we honor them. We, we, we encase their remains in gold. And we, we, we direct our prayers to God through them. So uh, Augustine and indeed his mother Monica are, are two of the most powerful witnesses that we have in the communion of the saints. Mm -hmm. And it's a relic of St. Augustine is such a treasure. And I know one parish in Chicago, St. John Cantius, yes. that has a relic of St. Monica. Yes. And they, were, they would have this weekly uh, vigil. This, it was a, a novena once a week, every week, where people would bring petitions for relatives that had fallen from the faith and sought innocent. And the, the coolest one was a lady in her early 90s who converted back to her faith just weeks before she died. But there are many other conversions as well. This, this is part of the Amen. intercession of the saints. Amen. Amen. And God loves to work through his saints. God, yeah. God is a proud parent, and no parent, when his son or, or her son is honored, ever thinks anything is taken away from him or her. No. They are honored when their children are honored. Yes, yes. You can even see how some parents beam, having been a teacher, a high school teacher and college professor, when those children come up and they announce, you know, the summa cum laude or special honors, the parents don't say, sure. oh man, that's not fair. I know how dumb he used to be. No, no. Right. no, no. They never do that. They never. never. No, and never. They, they delight in that honor that is given to their children, absolutely. You have this, yeah, let me reach over here for you. Sure. Yeah, so I have here flesh from uh, St. Maria Goretti, the, the patroness of purity and, the, and who, whom the world honors and calls the little saint of great mercy, uh, who spent her dying moments uh, forgiving her, her, her murderer, uh, the man who attacked her, Alessandro Serenelli, uh, who killed her in a botched rape attempt. And she he went... Tried to, he tried to rape her, but did not. But did not. Yeah. yeah. She, she was able to physically prevent him, uh, which, is, which is a miracle in and of itself. She was 11 years old. Uh, he was a, a very large 20-year-old. Like, he was a very strong man. And when you see pictures, if, if you have a chance to see a picture of Serenelli, he has... He has probably the biggest hands that I've ever seen on a man. Just yeah. these powerful, uh, these powerful mitts that he had, and he testified at her canonization trial because her 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 forgiveness of him went on to convert him. She appeared to him in his prison cell and extended forgiveness to him, handing him fourteen white lilies. Fourteen, of course, being the number of wounds with which he stabbed her. And that set him, I mean, he, he instantly, this was six years into his prison sentence, he turned from an absolute violent monster into a pussycat overnight. Mm. Uh, he requested the local bishop, uh, asked, for the, asked for the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, and he confessed having murdered her. And he went on and testified at her canonization trial. And, and, and we know from him, we wouldn't have known from any other source, that as he was inflicting the mortal attack upon her, as she was crying out, it was only on his behalf, for his sake. She was, Alessandra, you're going to go to hell if you do this. You're going to go to hell. Why are you doing this? So it was never stop. It was never get away from me. It was, 
it was always for his, she, Maria Goretti, as she's being stabbed to death, is incredulous that anybody would be willing to throw away his eternity for that. Yeah, yeah. So, so. and you know, this is um, in particular in our times again. Well, first of all, she's a modern saint. When she died, she died in 1902. So yeah. she is very much a modern saint. Yeah, just 120 years ago. Exactly. So Pope John Paul the Great called her the first martyr of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, so she, uh, th there was something very special in that martyrdom. And Maria Goretti is uh, among the relics in the exposition ministry has easily brought about the most healings, the most of the miraculous occurrences. And you know, to, to think of her as the first martyr of the 20th century where there were 40 million martyrs in the 20th century alone, more than half of all the church's martyrs were killed in the 20th century, especially by the communists and the socialists of the National Socialist uh, Movement, Nazis. So to be that first one in a very large contingent is uh, itself remarkable. It is remarkable, yeah, and, and, and even an honor. They were, they were, Maria is a sign of things that came things that were to come in the 20th century uh, where innocence was, was, was bullied and, and was massacred by, by evil. Yes. And I think too with um, the, the large amount of human trafficking which is often in the sex trade and pornography and prostitution, uh, there's some 45 million uh, uh, human, uh, traf humans trafficked in slavery right now. Mm -hmm. uh, her intercession is much needed. Absolutely. Both by the victims and by the people who look at pornography. Right. She would be a great intercessor. For Absolutely. Them. Absolutely, she is. And I'll place this back here. This relic is very special, is it not? This is. Uh, this is a portion, a fragment of the veil of Our Lady, a portion of the cloth worn by the Mother of God on her head while she was alive on earth. Uh, and of course, uh, we have no first class relics of Our Lady, she having been assumed body and soul into heaven upon completion of her earthly life. And in fact, nobody claims to have exactly. a first class relic of Our Lady, exactly. do they? It, no, there is no ancient church that ever purported to possess the body or any fragment of the body of Our Lady. In fact, the testimony of the ancient church is unanimous, that she, yes. was, she was assumed body and soul into heaven, but her belongings remained on earth. And these were revered by the church in Jerusalem, by that church founded uh, by the apostles that built upon the apostles. And her veil remained in Jerusalem until the late fourth century, when it was then taken to Rome by St. Jerome, the church father. Jerome was the secretary to Pope St. Damasus, so he, he had a lot of authority and power, if you will. Yes. And for its safekeeping, uh, he removed it from Palestine and he brought it to Rome and placed it in the Basilica of St. Anastasia, where he was the parish priest and where it remains to this day. Some years ago, a portion was removed and was assigned to this ministry to allow for worldwide veneration. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is easily one of, well, I, it, it is the second most popular relic in the exposition ministry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and um, so folks understand too, the tomb of Our Lady where she was laid to rest is in Jerusalem. Yes. But that would also be a second class relic. Absolutely it would. And it's uh, in a uh, grotto right across the street from the Garden of Gethsemane. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just so fitting that these two places, uh, these two significant places are, are side by side. Yes. Where our Lord experienced so much suffering and where his mother uh, that was the place where this incredibly miraculous event occurred, where she was lifted up. Just like Elijah. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, you and have finally, this relic. yeah, this, this is, if, if Our Lady's Veil is the second most popular relic, the most popular is, of course, 
the relic of the True Cross. So these are some of the largest remaining fragments of the True Cross in the world. Uh, these, this relic is the relic that the man I told you about earlier, the one who had been born paralyzed, this is the relic he touched. He placed his hand on the, on the glass cube in which I keep this relic at the expositions, and he got up out of his wheelchair and walked home. Mm -hmm. And this uh, relic is, uh, as I mentioned, easily the most popular relic. It is popular, um, you know, relics, as, as you know, Father Mitch, relics of the True Cross are very rare. And when you encounter them, in those rare occasions where, where the people of God encounter them, or priests for that matter, they're usually tiny little slivers yes. that have been separated. Yes. Uh, and this, the, the church has made available very large fragments that, uh, that, that people can easily see. And, and this is all for the sake of, of that closeness, that intimacy with the Lord. You can actually see the grains within the wood. And that, yes. it, it, it speaks to the closeness of God and, and, and makes us present, if you will, at at the crucifixion, where our Lord, having been nailed to this cross, that that very wood, that instrument, is available to us for for prayer and for devotion. In the uh, seal that you have, that looks like a little tag. That's a very special seal. Is sure. It not? Yeah. So the the this relic, every every relic is issued with an authenticating document. The document for this relic is encased in the very back. And the seal that hangs down, uh, it, it is there in order to prevent tampering with the relic. The relic cannot be accessed without this string being broken. It would be impossible to open up yes. the reliquary without breaking the string or breaking the glass for that matter. The, the seal goes over top of the knot that has, uh, that has been tied to close the string. And so as long as that seal is intact, one can be certain the this, relic inside has not been tampered with and it is what it is claimed to be. Yes, yes. So that's, and the church, again, wants to be kept. The church is a custodian of these most precious objects. You know, sometimes there are different jewels and things given to the church and people do that out of devotion. That's all very beautiful and nice, but it's not as precious as these relics. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and that's especially true of the cross. A friend of mine uh, was born and raised in Jerusalem and in the, um, during the 67 war, he was a teenager. Um, and uh, his mother had flour to make a loaf of bread, but so many uh, Palestinians were caught, you know, in their homes and there was fighting in Jerusalem between the Jordanians and stuff, and it was impossible to get food. And so their family, ancient Jerusalem family, had a relic of the true cross that they had been in their family for hundreds of years. And his mother took and blessed the dough and at that point, she started to slice the dough and give it to neighbors. And she fed the whole neighborhood from one lump of dough. When family after family just kept coming for dough to make bread. And she just kept cutting. And we saw there that the relic of the true cross did another miracle of the multiplication of loaves. Amen. You know, so our Lord continues to do his miracles, the things that he did and greater yet. He's not envious of us. You can't do bigger miracles than I did. I'm God. No, no. our Lord is not like that. His grace is infinite. Amen. Infinite. Amen. And he Amen. wants to pour that out uh, upon us. Well, this is an important ministry. This is what you're doing is not some museum visit. Right. This is not about a museum where, oh yeah, I saw this. It's not about having spiritual tourists come and go, oh, I got a photo with the cross. No, this is about an encounter with Jesus Christ who hung on this cross. Right. The Blessed Mother who wore this veil and these relics of saints that serve God. So. I, for 
in my audience and many others, um, very much like to thank you for doing this kind of service and ministry. And again, it's treasuresofthechurch.com, correct? correct? Yes, Father. This is where people can go to find out more. More information, the schedule is posted there. Yeah. And there, there'll be, most of the people won't be able to be present at an exposition. I can only do one stop a day. But what the people can do is if they go on the website, they can order this video, which has a virtual exposition of all of the relics in the exhibit. And there have been a number of healings of just those who watch this video. Great. Oh, that's a great treasure. Well, Father, would you bless us with this relic of the true cross? Absolutely. So may Almighty God descend upon on you, Father Mitch, on all of the people here in the studio working for EWTN, all those who are watching this, their family members and all those whom they, whom they love. May Almighty God and the power of His cross be manifest in you now and forever, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. I know that your visit to Birmingham is quite busy and you know we, we so appreciate you doing this as well as all the travel. You, you go all over the country, hundreds of visits. We thank you for uh, doing that. And we want to thank you because of your support for EWTN that makes it possible for us to share this uh, ministry with you, along with all the things that our other guests are doing. And we certainly uh, would appreciate it if you continue to do what Mother Angelica was inspired to do. She didn't want this network to be brought by various commercials and such. She wanted it to be brought to you by you. And your generosity to us has kept us going these 40 plus years. So please, we ask you to continue keeping us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. And if you do that, we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you and thank you all. Thanks, Father. Father.